The following message is by Dr. Ian Duguid, visiting professor of Old Testament at Westminster Seminary, California. For more information, please visit us online at wscal.edu. That's wscal.edu. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can approach you as Father, that you have shown your love to us in such remarkable ways, that you have created us for a relationship with you. And after we fell, you brought us back into relationship with you at cost of the death of your Son. Uh, And now you have adopted us into your family and made us your people, your children. Uh, What a precious truth that is. Lord, we pray that today you would open up your word to us, that it would speak to us, and uh, uh, that uh, it would uh, edify us and equip us for the work of ministry you set in front of us. Lord, we pray that we would be your obedient servants and your joyful children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Continuing on our faculty series in 1 Thessalonians, today we're going to read 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 through 12. Let's give careful attention to this reading of God's Word. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you, as a nursing mother nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers, working night and day so we would not be a burden, uh, we would not burden any of you. We preached God's gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Thus far the reading of God's word. Metaphors are important. Every good pastor and preacher knows that. A good metaphor takes the point that you're trying to get across and drives it home deeply into people's consciousness. It gives people an analogy that helps them to see what you mean. But what analogy can we use for pastoral ministry itself? What metaphor or set of metaphors describe our calling in watching over the flock of God? Well, pervasive in modern literature about pastoral ministry is the image of the pastor as the manager or CEO of a company. Ministers were told to be organizers, vision setters, turning their churches into efficiently managed outfits that maximize the intake and development of fully grown sheep units. Church members are consumers of church products who will vote with their feet to go to a church that best meets their felt needs. Ranch managers and customers. That image is a little different from the biblical image of shepherd and flock. And the result is a different model of ministry in the church. Well, here in our passage in 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul uses three images or metaphors to describe his own ministry among the Thessalonians. Uh, Metaphors that I want to suggest this morning provide for us uh, models as we think of ministry in our own context. He describes himself as a nursing mother, as a brother, 
and a father to the Thessalonians. Now, each of those metaphors, as I'll try and unpack in a minute, is rich with meaning, but the first thing I want us to notice is the fact that all three of those metaphors are relational metaphors. Ministry is all about relationships. Now, that's something that's perhaps easy to lose sight of while you're here in seminary, where your primary focus is rightly on academic studies. But in the church, relationships are foundational, primary. Whether it's counseling a hurting believer or preaching to the assembled congregation, people hear what you're saying through the context of the relationships you have forged with them. Uh, That's often a very good thing because, as every preacher knows, sometimes you say something you didn't mean to say. You accidentally slip out some heresy there. What happens when you're preaching to your own congregation is instead of reporting you to your presbytery, uh, they, they, they correct it. They know what you meant to say, and so they fill it out for you. That's one of the great advantages of preaching regularly to the same group of people. Now, the first image, then, that Paul suggests here is that of a nursing mother. Specifically, though, a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Now, that distinction is an important one because in the ancient world, as today, uh, there were many women employed in the childcare industry, some of whom did a better job than others. But even the best childcare worker would tell you uh, that there's something different when she takes care of her own children. And so, too, Paul's interest in the Thessalonians was more than merely professional. It wasn't a business transaction that took up eight hours of his day, 40 hours a week. It was a ministry that engulfed his whole life. He didn't just share the gospel with them. He shared himself, as it says in verse 8. You see, true ministry is like that. It's not an occupation. It's not a profession. It's a life. You come to love your people, and they come to love you. And for that to happen, there has to be a motherly concern and gentleness about the pastor. You know, when great things happen in your life, who are you going to call? Your high school teacher may not want to know. Even your best friend may want to talk about the Padres game instead for some inexplicable reason. But mom is always there. Mom always wants to know. When you fall down and you scrape your knee, literally as a child, metaphorically as you grow up, who do you call? Mom is always there. Well, so also as a pastor, you have to have that gentleness about you that makes you approachable. People need to know that you care about their successes and you will bleed with them in their trials. Pastors need to be gentle like nursing mothers. But in addition, Paul addresses the Thessalonians as brothers. That's a different image, a different kind of relationship. Mothers embrace you when you fall down, but brothers work alongside you, provide models for you to emulate So Paul reminds the Thessalonians of his labor, his hardship among them, how hard he worked so he wouldn't be a burden to them, how devotedly, how righteously he lived among them. He wasn't simply a warm and gentle shoulder for them to cry on. He was also an active and energetic model of the Christian life for them to emulate. So too as pastors, we live in the midst of our people, not simply to support them when they fall, but to provide for them a model of Christ-like living in their midst. The pastor is to be a man of God, as Paul calls Timothy, 1 Timothy. A man who both by his actions and by his attitudes models what godliness looks like in this world. 
as we'll see in a minute. There's a right kind of pastoral authority, but before pastoral authority, there is pastoral equality. As pastors, we are brothers to our people. We are fellow sinners, fellow strugglers, wrestling with the same kinds of trials and difficulties, not inhabiting some kind of ivory tower or a pedestal six feet in the air, trailing clouds of glory behind us. As such, and perhaps even more so for us than it was for the Apostle Paul, our example for our flock will involve not only modeling obedience, but modeling repentance as well. In our preaching, we can help people greatly when we confess the reality of the struggle with sin that goes on in our own hearts as well, our own need of this gospel that we declare to them. When we show our people how the gospel is the answer for our need as well as for theirs, then it ministers to them too on a more profound level. We are brothers to our people. Third, though, Paul described himself as a father to the Thessalonians, specifically a father as he sought to encourage, to comfort, to implore them on to lives of godliness. Now, these verbs have a tone of authority about them, which I think points us to what is distinctive in this place in the metaphor of father. It's not that tenderness or care is lacking from fathers. On the contrary, as fathers, we care deeply about our children. But whereas the image of pastor's nursing mother focuses on his nurturing care, the image of pastor as father focuses on his role as caring disciplinarian. You know, as a child, when you fall off the wall and you scrape your knee, the reason, one of the reasons you instinctively run to mom is because you hope that she's going to say, there, there, and bandage it up. Whereas if you go to dad, he's going to say, what are you doing climbing on that wall that I told you last week never to climb on again? So too, pastors are to be authority figures within their congregations, not lording it over their people, but ministering God's word to them with a proper seriousness, encouraging, urging, exhorting our people publicly and privately to lives of greater godliness. As a pastor, you cannot simply be one of the guys. There'll be times when you have to say to your people, this is what God's word says, and be prepared to stand your ground no matter what. Well, who is sufficient for these things? Which of us could ever be a nursing mother and a brother and a father to his people? You know, most of us are better at one aspect than the other. Some of us are very uh, empathetic people, warm and huggable like teddy bears, but perhaps not very authoritative. Perhaps there are times when our teddy bear needs to develop a bit more of a growl. Uh, Others of us are good at being brothers and coming alongside people. Or are good at making those authoritative pronouncements on the base of God's word, but we lack empathy and compassion. None of us has all of the gifts. And that's the way that God in his sovereignty designed the church. Think about that. God could have created pastors who had all the gifts, and the fact that he has not done so suggests that he designed it in that way. Why? Well, so that uh, uh, people don't fixate on their pastors in place of, of Christ. We, say, we see that, uh, that uh, we need other people around us to round out our gifts. That's one of the great joys of being a Presbyterian. You know, in your session, you can surround yourself with other men who have gifts you lack and make up for your weaknesses. So pray that the Lord would develop your, your own gifts in a more rounded way, but also that he would give your church the gift of people who have the gifts you lack. 
But your inadequacy is also an opportunity for you to remind your people that you are only their imperfect under-shepherd. Their only hope in life and death is not you, but the chief shepherd, Jesus. The only one who exhibits these pastoral traits in perfect balance. He wept over Jerusalem. He cried out, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not come. He was tender and gentle in his ministry, not breaking the bruised reed or extinguishing the smoking flax. And Jesus is also our elder brother, the one who has modeled for us the pathway of obedience through the wilderness, both in his labor and in his endurance, taking up his cross and carrying it faithfully all the way to the end. And Jesus certainly spoke and taught with unparalleled authority, declaring God's word to his hearers in no uncertain terms. You see, this is the chief shepherd of the flock, the one who's not simply a model for pastors to follow, but also the savior of pastors as well. And so when I fall far short of Paul's metaphors of ministry, what a comfort it is to be able to confess my sin to the Father and to plead the perfections of Christ in my place. Though I may frequently fail to walk worthy of the kingdom of God to which he has called me, his righteousness is imputed to me by faith. So that on the last day I will be received into glory for his sake. All of my imperfections as a shepherd will be covered by his blood and God will welcome me into his presence and say to me, enter into the joy that is prepared for those called by God and chosen in Christ. You see, because of his righteousness and grace, my imperfect labors will not be in vain, but will result in praise and glory to God. Because, as Paul is going to conclude this letter to the Thessalonians, he who calls you is faithful and will also do it. Thanks be to God for the astounding grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the sure work of the Father in faithfulness, accomplishing all of his holy will. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and uh, we ask that you would raise up for your church pastors who have these attributes, who are gentle like mothers, uh, who provide an example for the flock like brothers, and who uh, urge and exhort and challenge the flock as fathers. Lord, we confess that each one of us falls far short of your standard. Uh, we pray that uh, you would forgive us for our sins and develop in us uh, these gifts in greater abundance and surround us with people who uh, augment us by having the gifts that we lack. And we pray that the result would be uh, the edification of your flock, the building up of your people, the bringing in of those who are not yet part of your kingdom, and ultimately praise and glory to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2011, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.